not that I have like this like boring life here, but it was really, really nice to switch it up and go and spend some time on a tropical island with a bunch of rowdy volleyball players, uh, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself, as you know, John, am not a volleyball player, uh, but, uh, but you're rowdy. But I am rowdy and did manage to be rowdy. Oh, I had. OK, so this is has nothing to do with anything, but uh, I had the best shrimp of my entire life there. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the coconut shrimp appetizer wherever I can get mm-hmm. it, especially if it's close to a body of water and being on an island in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. The I mean, just the most delicious coconut shrimp I've ever had in my entire life. Just uh, I will fantasize about that until I go back uh, to that to that same spot. Um, I I had uh, I had the other night I had the worst shrimp I've ever had, and I normally stay far away from seafood of all kinds. Yeah, uh, yeah. but I felt like rolling the dice. Went out with a a bunch of the local uh, dads. Shout out to my my dad's night out posse. Uh, We went went to (laughs) a, a. a, a local Brazilian radizio, you know, style thing where they just keep bringing out waves and waves of meat to the table. Mm-hmm. And they had one thing that wasn't like steak and it was shrimp and it was getting late in the session and just thought like, yeah, yeah, I'll mix it up. And so slid some, some shrimp down onto the plate and myself and several others just picked it up and took a huge bite out of it, not realizing that it was fully, you know, still like completely shelled and whatnot. And, oh, uh, oh no, was, uh, yeah, was pulling shrimp armor out of my teeth for like the next 20 minutes and, uh, Ooh. not, not feeling happy about it, but, uh, oh, that's upsetting. Know. That's upsetting. You live and you learn when you go out to a fancy restaurant and make a move that would be made by a nine-year-old child, you know, like yeah. that's, yeah. you know, yep. Yep. Uh, I did, I had, uh, kind of not that exact situation, but one of the places, so I'm not, I'm not a shrimp guy either. Uh, I, am one of those people who's like, yeah, if you have shrimp cocktail, maybe I'll have it at a party, but I stay away from it for the most part, unless I'm like really in the mood for it. But this was a situation after having it, like the first night I was there, I had some like breaded and battered fried shrimp at the the resort that we were staying at and it was phenomenal and i was like oh this is so good and then i figured i'd complete the cycle by on the last night having that same exact dish and just it was clearly prepared by a different cook who did not remove the tails before they batter fried it mm-hmm. so i like took that one big old bite of the first piping hot shrimp and absolutely crunched down I was like hmm this is much more batter fried than I, oh, nope, that's definitely a shrimp tail. And then had to also pick shrimp armor out of my teeth. Uh, But I ate the rest of those shrimps very carefully because they were still delicious, but I just had to be wary of the, of the little, little shrimp tails. Oh, um. so, 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 uh, Corey, speaking of, uh, of shrimp, Mm. There was some very recent in the world of Formula One. There was some very recent news around uh, Mario Andretti. Yeah. Well, you know what, John? We got to introduce the the thing. We got to introduce the, introduce the podcast. It's, it's, podcast. It's our this podcast. A- yes. This is it.
Welcome to the F1 Files, folks. Uh, this is a Formula One it's, podcast. It's a, yeah. a Formula it's a, One podcast? Yeah, we're doing okay. a Formula right, One sure. podcast. It's right. not, uh, you You may have been duped. You may have thought that this was a shrimp podcast. Uh, it is not a shrimp podcast. Uh, we're going to have to is, change the, the album artwork <laughs> for this then. Jeez. Yes. Yes. Uh, so this is uh, You know how Formula hard one. it was to make the shrimp look cool? <laughs> It was, it was really tough, Corey. I put a lot of. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. Right. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to throw you off the scent. Uh, but so this is this is our Formula One podcast. We are a couple of casual fans here in the United States of America. My name is Corey Willis. I'm an improviser, writer, and comedian out here in Los Angeles, formerly Honduras, but now Los Angeles. <laughs> And this is uh, John Lapore broadcasting to you live from the, <laughs> the Garden State of New Jersey. I'm a, a creative consultant focused on designing the future for film, technology, and some silly stuff in the automotive space. And uh, yeah, happy to be here, as always, talking F1 with uh, with my, my childhood best friend, Mr. Damn Corey Ross. So uh uh, so yeah, the the little Italian shrimp himself. I don't know mm-hmm. what, what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, Mario no, no, Andretti. He's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a little <laughs> he's guy, right? He's Italian. a small, small dude, small he's, Italian guy. Uh, beloved figure in the sport. Uh, yeah. Anytime in, in, I see anything, I mean, in all sport, in like exactly. you know, yeah, in the, all all the yeah. the racing sports. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, it's a cultural reference at this point, right? Like we've got. One of the 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 earliest crossover um, uh, connections with with our likes as young young men um, listening to hip hop, uh, listening to a tribe like called and, Quest, like Andretti on the Momo. Yep. Yeah, ludicrously speedy, like Andretti on the Momo uh, was yep. was one of the first times I heard it referenced outside of motorsports. Uh, and yeah, so so Mario was he was back in back in the seat. Back in the seat, uh, 80, he, 80 years old, dude, is 80, 80 years, years old. old. And he stated that it was one of the few things in his life that was still left on his bucket list, which was to drive a modern spec Formula One car. I don't know mm-hmm. when the last time was that he was in a car, but he, and he's certainly, I mean, he's. He was pretty well known probably as recently as like 10 or 15 years ago mm-hmm. as being a guy who would often pilot. Uh, they had this Indy car that was built with a passenger seat in it yeah. and would give thrill rides to you know certain VIPs and, and whatnot. And I would always hear stories about him just like he would just be laughing and hooting and hollering the whole time, terrorizing people in, in yeah. that thing. Yeah. He's like A-list celebrities or wildly rich uh, individuals who showed up to circuits uh, who are like, yeah, I would like to go for a ride in one of these cars. And then Mario would take them out and they'd come back uh, green and stumbling uh, yep. because he did not take it easy uh, at all, was not really doing like a parade lap, was taking these indie cars, which are very similar to F1 cars as far as <laughs> generating lateral Gs. Uh, and he would just take these people out who were completely untrained, just put them in a helmet, strap them into, uh, into the harness, and then terrorize them like you said for uh for at least one lap sometimes multiple laps um but yeah he he actually 
got his own got his own ride, got his own solo ride. Um, not so, in an indie so, car. Yeah. So how did this how did this come about? How did Mario? How did eighty year old Mario Andretti find himself in a in a modern F one car? So from what I understand, he had just had a bunch of conversations because he's he's still very much a part of F1 and, and is an ambassador for the sport and is in close contact with a bunch of team principals. And with McLaren hiring Zach Brown as their uh, their team principal, an American, uh, has they have uh, an even closer relationship because Zach Brown was involved with McLaren IndyCar and Mario Andretti was also and Michael Andretti were both involved in Andretti Motorsports in IndyCar so he struck up a relationship with Zach a while ago and then basically just kind of floated out the idea like I would love to drive one of these cars you know uh and I from what I gather it was like Zach being like well if it doesn't work out with your own team uh, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a shot. I want to make sure that you get a chance to to drive one of these modern cars. That's awesome. Uh, and it seems like that promise was honored uh, at Laguna Se- <laughs> at Laguna this this past uh this past weekend uh, with Mario ripping around the last track that he drove an Indy car um in competition. So that was also like kind of the special moment was. He retired after driving uh, the Laguna Speedway in IndyCar. So him getting back out there, driving solo with a McLaren uh, on that exact circuit was just wild. Uh, And an awesome circuit. I mean, also cool because this is happening like in the lead up to the United States Grand Prix in Austin. So we've got some exciting F1 action happening at an exceptionally notable American track, Laguna Seca. That no um, longer runs F1. That does, or not yeah. no longer, but does not it run never, F1. Never, never ran. Yeah, never yeah. ran Formula One, but has always been considered like one of the world's premier racetracks. Period, and and probably uh, is is usually considered, you know, the you know one of, if not the most notable racetrack in the United States. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Pretty, pretty awesome stuff. Uh, Zach Brown, just a boss for letting folks have fun behind the wheel of all sorts of amazing vehicles that he has in a collection. I don't know if they were these all vehicles. I know at least some of them came out of his collection because it wasn't, it wasn't just uh, Andretti doing uh, fast laps in the modern McLaren. Um, Mika Hakkinen was there Mm -hmm. in his older McLaren and got to do some hot laps in there and uh who was it there was uh patricio award was in uh one of senna's old mclarens yeah. and yeah. you know i mean man i would would love to would love to be in zach brown's circle where he's just like hey which of my priceless uh antiques yeah. would you like to do some death-defying thrill rides behind the wheel of i mean just wild stuff it's i think that some of them i don't know if this the mclaren that he gave to andretti uh gave to that he loaned andretti um for this this run i don't know if that was part of his own personal collection but he does like you said he has access to he pretty much all of the yeah he had previously at last year's uh austin grand prix Mm -hmm. led 
Danny Rick behind the wheel of his uh, Dale Earnhardt car yeah. that he had in his collection, uh, yeah. which was pretty pretty awesome to see. Uh, yeah, seriously, I, I want to be I want to be friends with this dude. And yeah, uh, see I just yeah how yeah. I could just like enter a poker game with him and be like, if I win this game, you yes. know, you let me drop my kids off uh, at school in uh, you know. Uh, Ayrton Center's uh, old car, you know, like <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I need that. I need that experience, please. Uh, yeah, that would that would be amazing. I think that he is probably as far as uh, as an American, uh, as like uh, someone from the U.S. Uh, being represented in motorsport. Like he has created such like a perfect pathway for people who love NASCAR, people who loved IndyCar and loved other kind, you know, even touring uh, and sport compact uh, cars. Like he's created an avenue for people like that who really didn't feel like they had access, especially in the U.S., didn't feel like they had access to F1. He's now like kind of like the, you know, uh, he's like your uncle uh, who it's like, oh, yeah, Uncle Zach, like he's involved with F1. Like he feels to me like uh the american uh like the us not not american but the 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 us like uncle uh who's in f1 who like grants the rest of us like not access but just kind of the uh the the viewpoint of an american and an outsider um so to speak in the sport uh he like kind of welcomes the rest of us into it uh, and it feels like we can all exist there because if Zach Brown can exist in the Formula One paddock, I feel like any of us could exist as well. Um, yeah, it's just such a. What's your what? Let, let's play a quick game here. What's your Ooh. you know you, you got uh, you got Zach Brown a little liquored up, and mm-hmm. we're able to get him to set you up with something. What would be not even knowing exactly what's in his collection, but just assuming everything is in his collection. I'm talking like infinite, all Gran Turismo cars, you know, that ever existed and beyond. What would be the car and the place that you would drive it if you could have your, your Zach Brown, Aladdin genie be able to make that happen for you? I mean, I would love to... I assume that he has, if not the actual um, championship winning car that uh, Jensen drove uh, for Braun, like, mm. I would love to drive that car just because I feel like that was when modern F1 really took hold. When those cars, when when the F1 cars really quite literally separated themselves and differentiated themselves from all other racing cars uh, i think mm-hmm. it was like the braun gp year being like we have experience talent and technology all just like perfectly keyed in um and i mean i'd immediately probably put that thing into a wall uh or throw up inside of my helmet while going around to turn at at, at yeah, you'd be just fine yeah sure um uh, but yeah, I'd say like Jensen's uh, Jensen's championship car. I would love to to get my hands on that, um, or even like maybe. Hmm. No, I think Jensen. Yeah, I think Jensen. I kind of want to drive one of the old Beamers that the when BMW was was still in it. Um, 
So that would be an interesting, mm. uh, just because those, I love just the turning veins on the BMW because uh, yep. it just looks so cool. But I think like the Braun, the F1 car that, that Jensen won with would be, would be my go-to. Um, maybe not an all or nothing situation, but certainly it would be like the first three requests to be like, hey, so did you get that car yet? Um, Zach, like you going to get that car or, or you, what's, what's going on here? Uh, what about you, Johnny? What would you, what would you like to hop behind the wheel of? I would like to drive. It's an old Mercedes, uh, sedan that went racing. It's a Mercedes 300 SEL AMG. Mm -hmm. They call it the red pig. It's got an amazing assortment of decals all over it. Fog lights on the front. It's a big brooding mean looking thing and i want to drive it through the freshly waxed hallways of (laughs) shenandoah high school (laughs) and uh and just uh fly through the the high school that we went to and just tear it around every corner (laughs) laying down thick black stripes every corner that it goes around I would like to lose, like as I'm exiting out, I want to do a fishtail so lurid that I just happen to peel the rear like chrome bumper just off of it on like the doorway or maybe like a locker or something that it just taps against and the bumper flies out as I exit out and a, you know, a like OJ Simpson era LAPD-esque formation of, you know, campus security guards attempt to chase me out across uh, the, the parking lot as i as i make my way out of the high school campus that's my zach brown can make that happen i'm i'm fully certain that he's connected in all the ways to make that uh make that possible shut that campus down and uh except for the fleet of security guards uh who would be like do your best to try and stop him you won't but do your best uh yeah the pig is is such a, a gnarly vehicle and it absolutely it's like legendary within the mercedes stable if you if if you've if you have seen this car if, you know exactly what we're talking about if you haven't yeah. google this car so that you can yeah. see what this looks like i'm actually pretty sure i think i think toto wolf owns, he owns it. it either toto owns wolf or maybe ross braun i think it's toto the actual I'm, car yeah i'm pretty sure it's toto because and they've run it at like similar yes. events. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I've I've seen any, anyway, I just I just marvel at this idea that there are events where these people are just like, let's, you know, yeah. let's trust the adhesion between, you know, a certain temperature of pavement and rubber on the wheel uh to run all the way to the limit of that ad- adhesion uh with a priceless historical artifact like i literally like i just keep coming back to like this is somebody that's like we're going to play uh racquetball and we're going to line the walls with uh you know picasso paintings and yes uh, because it's yes. just it feels racket racquetball is that much more exciting when the ball is bouncing off of the surface of priceless artifacts just price. yeah yeah that could take most likely take the impact of a racquetball but certainly will tear at some part uh, uh along the way or someone will like flick their sweat onto it and it will ruin the painting and it's still like hey it's all for the love of the sport <laughs> just delaminates from the yeah. sweaty humidity <laughs> um 
So yeah, oh, I mean, awesome, oh. awesome, uh, awesome to see this sort of stuff happen. And like, you know, if if any of these, you know, it's interesting because I feel like these events aren't really publicized in advance. Mm-hmm. And I know when they're held, they don't. They, I, I think they typically are open to spectators, but it's usually just like you know, a hundred and fifty people kind of show up and like stand there and you know watch yeah. this happen because it's not a competition, it's not a full on event. It's just they're they're running these laps. But if you ever have the opportunity, if you ever hear about something like this going on, make the pilgrimage out there because to just to hear these vintage cars running yeah yeah is it's, it's absolutely special. extraordinary yeah um so speaking of these kind of uh situations that that avail themselves to the public uh we had talked last week about the las vegas event but uh as you said not highly publicized uh kind of difficult yep. to get a beat on it so uh it didn't happen this week it's actually happening uh, in November, you said, John? November 5th, uh, okay. which is, I believe, a Saturday. I Saturday, November so. 5th, they are yeah. going to shut down the Vegas Strip. Uh, they're bringing a few cars out. They haven't They haven't stated specifically which exact cars and which exact drivers, but it is stated that uh, Red Bull and Mercedes will have a presence there. And I'm, I'm yeah. going to say that there's probably a very good chance because this is going to be a major publicity event that both mm-hmm. Max and Lewis, uh, amongst others, will be there. They're going to have all sorts of... Uh, it's an all-day event. Um, it is, I believe, it's centrally located at uh, Caesar's Palace, um, right. they're, which I they're think is have, where start finish will be. Right, I like, believe, right. I believe yeah. so. Um, yeah. And um, they're going to have all sorts of different, uh, you know, tents and other other events and things happening. So this is going to be effectively between the uh, Mexico City race Mm -hmm. and the brazilian grand prix so i'm i'm willing to bet that everyone's gonna kind of swing swing north to to vegas make a little pit stop there um and they're gonna make a they're gonna make a proper show out of it uh i think they're they announced that there's gonna be like a main stage set up there will be you know appearances from drivers you know yet to be specified who who will be there but they are going to have uh you know drivers and key team members all there and they're gonna they are going to run the cars on the strip which is wild which that's yeah yeah it'll be, is, be awesome just to see that uh so with this the, the timing of this event is pretty critical because it is about a year and two weeks before the Las Vegas GP is scheduled. So this is absolutely going to be one of the most circus-like publicity stunts that F1 has pulled uh, in a very long time. I think the last time they did something like this, uh, they did it... Um, prior to the uh, the the Austin GP, they did something on like Hollywood Boulevard out here in LA. Um, mm-hmm. They've done it in New York, I think. Yep. Maybe the they year... ran the they ran the Red Bull through the Lincoln Tunnel at one point. Yeah. 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 So there 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 are events like this that really are are designed to drum up uh, excitement for. The, the Grand Prix that are happening basically in the next calendar year. Uh, and I think the one in New York was just after they had uh, 
I think the year after Austin's first Grand Prix was that was that around that time that they did the New York one? Yeah, it was something somewhere in there. And they, you know, they just look for opportunities to tie tie this stuff together. And, you know, and, and yeah. in many of those cases, those were not Formula One sanctioned events. It was like individual teams doing it as their own publicity stuff yeah. effectively. Uh, but with the vac with the backing of Formula One, I would expect this to be a pretty big event. I mean, again, yeah. Formula, this is the first time ever that a venue uh, a lot of the financing going into the venue itself is being fronted by the Formula One administration, which is is a really big deal. I mean, typically yeah. the history has been that Formula One extorts local promoters. It's the and, exact and, opposite. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Into you know the being in the most advantageous position to hold their event, and for them to be this invested in Las Vegas, I mean, it obviously speaks to their appetite to tailor the sport as much as possible to a, a growing American audience. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'll be curious to see. And I think we're both uh, excited, but, you know, maybe a little trepidatious as this sort of thing approaches to see just how much, uh, you know, how many rings of fire are the cars going to drive exactly. through? It's not will a it question of-, of fire mounted on the ground or will there be a ramp that sends exactly. them flying airborne through the ring of fire? Yeah, there's it isn't even a question of like, oh, do you think the car will jump through a ring of fire? It's like, well, how many cars at once through how small of a ring uh, or how many rings or where are these rings located in between casino rooftops that they then have to launch off of one casino uh, and then land perfectly on the next one? Uh, anybody who knows the geographic layout of Vegas knows that that's just that's not possible. Uh, mm-hmm. Casinos are spread too far apart. Um, but it, like it is, it is going to be maybe one of the biggest media circuses that has ever happened in Vegas, which is to say a lot because there are so. I mean, Vegas used to be the spot where every single heavyweight fight would happen right yep. like every single and i guarantee that that is exactly what they're going to use as uh as like the the build up to this is like um like there will be like weigh-ins where drivers are like holding their fists out towards each other probably whoever is like who's whoever is contending uh at that time because it's going to be at the end of the season they'll have the two title contenders probably like fists next to each other's faces um, weigh-ins and all that nonsense. They're going to be. Suge Knight's going to shoot somebody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe he'll uh, dangle Christian Horner off of a balcony somewhere. Uh, that would be pretty. Him. That would be pretty cool. I, I would see. Yeah, yeah, see I'd, I'd, hold yeah. on the 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 FIA helicopter has just spotted Christian Horner yeah. being dangled by Suge Knight by his feet off of yeah. a balcony at the top of the win. You know. And uh, yeah, and Suge Knight is uh, in like a full racing suit, uh, as large as he is. He's just in like mm-hmm. a Red Bull racing suit, and it's like it looks like a very tall and angry Max Verstappen is shaking, yeah. <laughs> uh, shaking Christian. Um, yeah, but there, it's going to be a circus. Uh, I'm excited to see it, but also uh, I am going to be absolutely like sucking air through my teeth. Uh, every, <laughs> every few, yeah, every, every few camera shots to be like, man, come on uh, again with this. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Um, but I, it is it is going to be an event, and I am. I know that the international community, th- this this podcast isn't necessarily for y'all, uh, but uh, I, we do appreciate the listens. Uh, but um, I think it's it's more about drumming up attention uh, in mm-hmm. in the U.S. when there's already a bunch of attention being paid to F1. Uh, I think that it's it's important. Also, geographically, this was said the U.S. is massive, so the fact that we have three Grand Prix in the U.S. If you want to overlay the actual physical size of the U.S. over Europe, like we, we should have way more than three Grand Prix here. Um, so like, uh, I'm not, I don't mean to say like we should have more Grand Prix like that, but I think that there's a, a little bit more of an understanding, especially as people, from the international community, from the racing community, have traveled to the U.S. and seen what Miami looks like. They now understand the difference in Miami and Austin. Like they are vastly different places. the The energy, the culture, the temperature, uh, the the elevation of the track, the design and layout of the track are vastly different. And Vegas is going to be an an even greater uh, variance between Texas and uh, and and Miami. Uh, so I think regionally speaking, it makes sense that there are three races here. Uh, also, if they were going to complain about and by they, I mean if the international community, the the snobs, not the whole international community, the international racing snobs uh are going to complain about it they should also look at the proximity of mexico city to austin uh they are very very close (laughs) so if we want to get into like they should be more spread out uh i guess uh the imagined borders make it a different place but like as the crow flies those places are very close uh, um uh, and culturally speaking they are very similar uh mexico being what Mexico is in Texas being basically a part of Mexico. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, like I get it. I, I can, I can understand any frustration that comes from the international community and, mm-hmm. you know, being a, uh, I don't know, uh, how to, what do you, what do you call it? Like a purist, a hipster, uh, whatever yeah. around any subculture that I'm fixated on. There's always like a little bit of resentment when it's opened up to a wider audience. But for me, yeah. I've just spent, I've spent so much of my life just trying to explain to other people the differences between NASCAR and formula one that I'm just like, yeah, yeah. bring it on. I'm happy to have as many, as many yeah. new, new fans in the mix as, as possible. And I hope, I hope we're, we're talking. Mother. Yep. You, uh, yep, yep, yep. You can hear me, right? Somehow I can hear you. I don't understand what is happening, but I can. Yeah, still I saw hear a little. You. I saw a little message pop up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, can you try to hop back into the room? Can you try and grab? Am that I one? not in the room? I mean, I think you're in the room. You're. I'm seeing I think I'm you. In. I think we're. I think we're good because I'm seeing my waveform and everything. Like I'm here, God, baby. I love it. Uh, let's blame Zencaster for this and not your internet connection. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get get it together. Uh, I don't even know where where we were when this happened. It's all good. So what what it's uh, what what else we got going on in the world of Formula One this week, Corey? 
Yeah. Uh, so there is a massive issue here with the FIA not stepping up and actually making a decision uh, based on the findings of of this commission. Uh, the, the cost, the cost cap, cap uh, commission. Yeah. Yeah. The um, cost cap commission is they've they've determined that Red Bull is the only team that actually violated the cost cap like fully violated it. Um, Williams was fined. Uh, they had like a $25,000 fine because of uh, just like some admin stuff, but they did not violate the cost cap. They did not go over yeah. um, from what it, uh, from what I understand, uh, neither did Aston Martin. Uh, so uh, it's, it's kind of, it's a problem. It's a real big problem um that there hasn't been anything uh even tweeted by uh the the president of the FIA uh, of the FIA uh and the FIA hasn't really released any statements other than uh this is bad uh, and we got to make yeah. sure that we do something about this uh so <sighs> in in the absence of that uh, Zach Brown, our, our buddy from McLaren here that we were just talking about. It's making all of our dreams come true. He's he's making all of our dreams come true, and he's he's laying out in very uncertain specific terms what he should uh what the FIA can do uh in order to to make up for this, uh in order to actually show that the cost cap is valid and that it isn't just a sham. Uh, one of his biggest things, and this is what what everyone has been saying about the cost cap, is it has now opened the door for other manufacturers, for other people to get involved with F1. Uh, the the cost cap violation, um, basically, if it is not dealt with in any sort of way, it's going to appear that it is invalid and it doesn't matter. And these mm -hmm. institutions like Audi and like Porsche who have now showed up uh, with the understanding that the cost cap is the cost cap and it's going to not give anybody an unfair advantage um, that that is now in question. Uh, and, and Zach wrote uh, an open letter to the FIA uh, and it was picked up uh, and there's, there's a bunch of parts of it that, that I'd, I'd like to directly quote uh, and then uh, address. So uh, the, the thing that really, um, that really, really sticks out, uh, is the idea that these are procedural breaches versus, uh, actual breaches, like these minimum breaches versus full breaches, uh, versus mm -hmm. procedural breaches. Um, these are things that should not be under any sort of, uh, of cloud of uncertainty. Uh, so he, he writes here, uh, the overspend breach and possibly the procedural breaches constitute cheating by offering a significant advantage across technical sporting and financial regulations, uh, which exactly, that's exactly right. I mean, if you breach in any way, shape or form, you are receiving an unfair advantage. Uh, yep. Even if it is just a procedural breach and the FIA dealt with that with Williams uh, and Aston Martin specifically with fines and they fined them for these procedural breaches, which totally fine. Uh, I, I understand and appreciate that. But then if you've got like a full on overspending breach, that is a real problem. 
Uh, so what he says here, there's there's another little bit that that adds to this. Um, so the bottom line is any team who has overspent has gained an unfair advantage, both in the current and the following year's development, which is what we had talked about. This is mm-hmm. absolutely a problem because you gain an advantage in the current year and then that allows you to then develop your car much later and other teams are not developing their cars which then gives you an advantage for the following year uh one of the biggest problems i believe is that the fia really needs to clamp down on this and have it be a penalty that does go like that does expand from one year into two years if there's if there's a breach like red bull right um Red Bull breached by up to $7.2 million. That is still considered a minor breach, which is just bananas that that is a minor breach. But the fact that they spent $7.2 million, uh, Zach Brown uh, puts this in context. And he's like, for context, a $2 million um, uh, additional allowance is uh, equivalent to a 25 to 50% upgrade in annual car development so that is wild okay if your car is quite literally twice as developed with just two million dollars red bull breached it by 7.2 million dollars potentially i mean that right there is like everybody needs to take notice of that if that is what it costs to upgrade your car to the to the point of where it's almost twice as good as your next best competitor and then they've tripled that amount in uh in financial breach there's no denying that that is absolutely cheating and you're gaining an unfair advantage i mean that's something that red bull loves to scream about is uh when someone gains an unfair advantage on track well this this is the equivalent of having someone starting with half the race distance already completed like if you're come on like that's wild that's wild you can't so, <laughs> so i think it's worth i think it's worth also noting that um these these concerns that you're quoting mm-hmm. are coming from Zach Brown and that to me is a is a big factor in this because it is yeah. not coming from Toto Wolf it is not coming yeah. from someone at Ferrari. It is coming from a team that is much farther away in the standings and has a lot less to gain, effectively almost nothing to gain from a penalty being thrown at at Red Bull in comparison to some other teams that are exactly much closer to being in a in a really specific battle with them. And so it, it does ring a bit more true just to hear someone talk about like, hey, what does this mean? Um, in particular for those of us who are following these rules, right? And yeah. working very hard to stay within these these requirements. Yeah. Um, what what else did uh, did Zach have to say? Uh, so uh, he also was saying that the FIA has run an extremely thorough, collaborative, and open process uh, in determining this cost cap. Uh, we have been given a one year dress rehearsal, which was 2020, and the cost cap was not enforced in 2020, but it was implemented in 2020 just to gauge how much teams were spending and what the penalties could and should be down the line. So now we're here two years later uh, and 
the FIA still hasn't sorted out what the penalties should be or could be, right? Uh, so with ample opportunity uh, to seek any clarification if details were unclear, that is also part of this like run up to the cost cap being implemented that 2020 period any Mm -hmm. and all team principals and anyone who is involved in actual financial decisions of these teams had the ability to ask for clarification like hey is catering involved in the cost cap quite literally the thing that red bull is now saying well we didn't know we accidentally spent well Guys, you've had two full years to get clarification on this. So, what happened, right? I mean, this, this, yeah, this that that's just ridiculous. I mean, it's you know, yeah, uh, it's a it's a bizarre it's a bizarre you know position to to take with this. Now, all right, I do have a I do have a question. Like, I am just sort mm-hmm. of curious, like when when we are in this scenario where everything is, you know, win at all costs, make all your decisions based on what competitive advantage will it give you? Why are like, why are there even like catering budgets? Like why aren't any of the teams being like, we're the peanut butter and jelly team because all, because that extra, you know, hundred thousand dollars or, I don't know, $800,000 or whatever it's going to be is going to go directly into designing a new floor for our exactly. car or, exactly. or something like, why is, why is that? I mean, I guess there's, there's probably a lot to do with, well, you keep up certain appearances because a lot of it is like, uh, uh, sponsor, you know, uh, you know, enticing your sponsors and yes. all of that. And VIPs and, and I know to, they're not going to eat peanut butter and jelly when they're used to eating caviar you know like that is i understand that the cost cap does have specific exceptions for uh salaries for your drivers Mm -hmm. and for some key team principles that you know you know you're gonna overspend on to to some extent yeah um, it, it, so it is that kind of like for these teams that are millimeter perfect in all aspects of their output, why, oh, why is there a potential $7.2 million misunderstanding? Yeah. I could maybe understand a million dollars, right? Like maybe just because the, bu- the budgets are so massive and they employ so many people that like if you make one mistake in one department, it has a knock-on effect because everyone in that department then has like benefited from that mistake and maybe that is what we're talking about here, right? But So maybe that's forgivable. Uh, and that's also something that Zach Brown brings up in this open letter where he's like, this 5% barrier of having a minimum violation versus a maximum violation, it should be lower to 2.5. Like anything over a 2.5 misunderstand, a 2.5% misunderstanding of your budgetary spending should result in a major violation. Like that's not a minimum violation, especially when uh, a, a, a 5% uh, a discrepancy could potentially result in a $7.2 million overspend. Like that margin needs to be much smaller so that a team that does make a mistake as big as this has been, like this has been a massive mistake on Red Bull's part. Uh, If they've made a mistake that large, then they should absolutely get 
dinged for a lot more than just the minimum violation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's it's uh it's it's looking pretty pretty good because like you said Zach Brown is not on Ferrari, he's not in Mercedes. Uh he's not in either of those camps and does not stand to benefit from uh a deduction uh in Red Bull's point spread uh and certainly does not necessarily benefit from Red Bull being fined. Like I mean, no one really benefits from that. Red Bull's own budget is at risk there. Uh, yeah. So I think my own expectations for any sort of severe punishment being applied, my expectations are very low. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be, so, it'll look so bad for the governing body to have to like retroactively, uh, you know, uh, make a team lose a championship that they had won or driver win a championship they had won or, or whatnot. Like, I think it's just not going to, uh, I don't think we're yeah. going to see it as much as I would like to, but I, that's I, I the agree. Breaks. Yeah. And I'm, I'm unfortunately of the same, I have the same level of expectation here, but I would like to think that the dire nature of like an actual like financial doping scandal like this is i mean that's what this is uh that it should be the 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 potential punishment should be such a massive deterrent that no team would dare ever violate it right like it, you you have to make this a completely like unjustifiable offense uh because yep. with 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 the financial penalty sure that works but having like a huge black spot on the sport in general holds everyone to account and i think that that is what needs to happen here i think that uh because what this does is and you know this and uh, as as well as i do if red bull is shown to not really be penalized by this as mercedes fans John, you and I, I'm fully on board with Mercedes completely matching Red Bull and being like, oh, okay, great. If this is how we're going to play the game, this is how we're going to play the game, right? And I feel mm -hmm. the same way with Ferrari and I feel the same way with McLaren and any other team, Alpine included. Uh, if, if they have the ability to match Red Bull and they are not going to be penalized in the same way, um, and they're not going to be penalized the way that Red Bull hasn't been penalized. I see no reason not to immediately change all of your budgetary. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, uh, at this point, it's a, it's a, it's almost like it. a cultural thing. It's in the way that you know the uh, many feel that the game there's a game around doing your taxes, which is not paying what the government owns. It's working with professionals to ensure that you are working within the limitations of the rules to pay the smallest amount possible. I mean, this applies to every aspect of formula one, not just the cost cap, yes. but every aspect of, you know, the, uh, the rule book, the yeah. whole idea is figuring out, you know, your most creative interpretation 
exactly. of the rule book in order to provide yourself like, with look at the, the 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 blown diffusers, right? Blown yep. diffusers, uh, DOS, F, right? F duct, yeah, F -ducts, all of this stuff, yeah, all this stuff. Even the little, even the 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 Aston Martin wing upgrade where they circumvented the rules by creating uh, a radius that was uh, equal to the radius of that like hard edge uh, that they created on their wing on their low downforce uh, wing setup that the FIA was like, yep, no one's allowed to do that next year, period. Can't do it because you're cheating. Like that is, I don't understand how a seven point, a potential $7.2 million breach of the financial mm -hmm. regulations, which then literally that is the way that people then violate the rules and find ways around the rules is through finances, like through financial consideration. So if you have yep. more money at your disposal, you have more opportunities to bend and break the rules in ways that weren't clearly outlined in the regulations at the start of the season. It's just, that is, like you said, this is the culture of the sport and money is absolutely the driving force behind uh, any any development, any sort of uh, advantage. I like uh, I like to imagine a future where like when the racing was getting really boring, uh, mm -hmm. during the like Schumacher years, uh, yeah. everyone started focusing in on the pit stops as yeah. like the most exhilarating part of formula one. Who's going to do the fastest pit stop because like every other aspect of the race was like, just sort of like un uninteresting because of, uh, Schumacher's yeah. extreme dominance. But like, I, I like to imagine a future where like it becomes less about the cars on track and more like you know, some sort of like behind the scenes, uh, breaking bad or what's the, what's the, 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 the other show on Netflix. That's like the wannabe breaking bad with, uh, um, with what's his name from arrested development. Uh, uh, they're, they're out in, uh, Ozarks. Uh, oh yeah. I was like, oh, which one is this? Yeah. I think there's a world where we watch formula one and it's not about the racing, but it's just about like who can do the best money laundering. And it's this like, you know, breaking bad Ozark esque, you know, uh, thrill ride of like, Ooh, who's got the, you know, and, and all of a sudden like the paddock starts getting like extra like shady and vegasy <laughs> yes. and just uh and whatnot me and gritty yeah uh, uh so just uh to to kind of put um uh to to wrap this up with zach's to put uh, a cap on it yeah to put a cap on it to put a uh, yeah no no I'm, I'm glad that you did it and i didn't do it um so what what he suggests here he actually suggests like some pretty solid um, changes in uh, not changes, but some pretty solid repercussions because the FIA again hasn't really outlined what the repercussions of the cost cap violation is. That's like kind of the problem here, and I think part of the delay is they, in their wildest imaginations, they never suspected a team to actually violate it, so they never actually came up with the repercussions. Which is just like y'all know what what sport you're governing, right? Like this is. Um, but so his his recommendation here is that any violation of the cost cap would be a fine that was implemented in the year that it was then violated, um, and it would then carry over to the next year 
And so let's say that Red Bull violated the cost cap by seven, uh, seven million dollars in 2021, right? Or it's found that they violated it in 2022. So they would be fined seven million dollars from the previous year that they found that they were found to have violated the cost cap in. And then the next year, their budget would be decreased by that same amount. So if they initially had a budget of $140 million and they were found to violate it by $7.2 million, then they would have $7.2 million less the following year. So they'd mm-hmm. have $131.8 million to then play with. Uh, and then... If then you really, w- then you'd really see Christian Horner eating peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, he would. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> uh, he would no longer be riding that horse. He'd be on like the back of Ginger's uh, horse, like riding. Uh, He'd with be him. on a donkey. Uh, oh yeah, just a little burrow. Um, but then also the idea would be. If a team was found guilty multiple years in a row, especially if it was for a minor infraction, if they were found guilty one year of a minor infraction and then they violated it the next year within those margins of a minor infraction, it would automatically become a major infraction that following year, which would and would probably result in disqualification from the entire championship that year and the removal of whatever championship points you uh you would won uh and this is drivers not drivers this is constructors championship points Mm. uh would be removed from you the previous year um someone else i saw on twitter was like hey red bull doesn't seem to really care about the world drivers championship which that's not true it's just not true uh it's worth uh, so much money that there's just no way that they're not concerned about it Mm -hmm. but what i do agree with when in this person's point is that they seem to care about the world drivers championship almost as much as the world constructors championship. So I do agree that even though a driver has nothing to do with budgetary considerations or extra spending, right? Like they definitely don't unless they're damaging the car on track and causing the team all sorts of financial strain. Um, then, they're somewhat responsible. But otherwise, the driver really isn't responsible. But I think because Formula One is the way that it is, because bragging rights are so important within the sport, that I think that the driver's championship points should also be taken away. I don't think it should just be a constructor's championship. Uh, that is that Because that is compounding the financial uh, um, uh, repercussions, which, sure, that's great and that's helpful, but the bragging rights... That's what really matters, right? Like, notice how little of a celebration the World Constructors Championship uh, earns these people yeah. at the end of the year versus the madness, the, 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 the total nightmare uh, of the announcement of the World Drivers Championship this year. Like, how disruptive was that <laughs> right. to the sport? Uh, yep. For something that literally doesn't mean anything financially, it, like, mattered so much that they interrupted a broadcast uh, and, like, totally changed the the tail end of uh, a Grand Prix that was, like, much bigger the return of the Japanese Grand Prix is much more significant, in my opinion, than Max winning the World Drivers Championship in that moment. Like, mm-hmm. it was such a... That's the thing that I think most of us will remember from the Japanese Grand Prix is, like, wow, that was such a weird, like, <laughs> like post-race interview scenario. And it's not like, oh, yeah, the, the Japanese Grand Prix 
was has like some of the most stalwart fans of F1 uh, and also hadn't existed for the past two years because of the pandemic. And it was like a triumphant return of one of the most beloved circuits uh, on the calendar. So I do think that there should be some sort of deduction of driver's uh, points. There just should be. The driver also, the driver benefited. The driver didn't make them spend more, but the driver absolutely benefited from it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I just think uh, it sucks, but it's true. Uh, he also said that, um, uh, this is like the last little bit, uh, is in addition, um, and he's saying he penned this open letter uh, almost as a, a person who is representing all the other teams and all the other um, people in the sport who had not violated. Uh, so that's the language that he's using here. So he's saying, in addition, we believe there should be a, a minor overspend sporting penalty of 20% reduction in CFD and wind tunnel time the following year. So right. these should be enforced in the following year to mitigate against the unfair advantage the team has and will continue to benefit from, right? And I think, again, that is something that is much more serious for a team like Red Bull, right? Because they're so, and, and any team, but like Red Bull specifically, like they spend so much time and effort on making their car aerodynamically superior to every other car. It's like they're, it's their greatest strength, right? So if they're overspending in an area that is also their greatest strength, it has a compound effect on their advantage beyond what we can just see in finances. Right. So like, I agree. I think that there should be a wind tunnel and CFD penalty um, that carries over to the next year. In addition to a fine that carries over the next year uh, and also potentially a deduction in world drivers championship point uh, and world constructors uh, constructors championship points. Um, I think that that is the only way to like really like make everyone understand you cannot violate this. You cannot find like the tax break way uh, or the loophole way mm -hmm. of violating this and then just go, okay, well, you know, it looks like we didn't make as much money last year, but we still won the championship. It's like, well, you can't, if you cheated, it doesn't matter how much money you made. You shouldn't have won the championship. I'm sorry. Um, and I, I truly would, I truly would be saying the same thing if Mercedes was found guilty. Uh, I know that we are biased as Mercedes fans and as Hamilton fans, John, but if Mercedes violated the rule the same way that Red Bull did, I would also be like, yeah, you don't. Sorry, Lewis, you don't deserve the trophy from last year. And Mercedes should get a reduction in wind tunnel time and their budget should be cut for next year. I, I just. Uh, this is this is the purest in me, John, uh, and yeah. you as well. No, this right? is this is it, and we've seen yeah, and we've seen we've seen major scandal in the past. Uh, we mm -hmm. should at some point when we've got a down week, maybe dedicate an episode to Spygate yeah. from uh, the early two thousands, where there was literally uh, you know McLaren stealing engineering secrets from ferrari, from ferrari. Like literally stealing documents and and whatnot and yeah uh oh. i believe uh so they were mclaren was forbidden from they were able to race but they were not allowed to compete 
in mm-hmm. the constructors championship for a year. Yeah. Uh, and they had a hundred million dollar fine or somewhere in the, in the ballpark of a hundred million dollar fine yeah. applied to the, team. this was so pretty, what, what year was that? That was, Oh, uh, this was early two thousands. Yeah. So um, this, this wasn't like forever ago. So like a hundred million dollars yeah. is still kind of comparable to what it is now. But this was like almost 20 years ago that this happened. So the, it was money. $100 million was still $100 million. Um, but it yeah. wasn't like $500 million, you know, in, in comparison. Um, but yeah, that would be that would be something that we should probably get into maybe in the off season. Maybe that'll be something we, we bring up uh, in the off season. Something we can deep dive into. Uh, but yeah, so that that is... That that's what's been happening this week. That's what's really stuck in my craw uh, with with this uh, this whole situation. It's just like why why hasn't any other team principal showed up and been like, hey, yeah, yeah, it sucks for Ferrari and Mercedes, right? And Mercedes more so than Ferrari, but like it also sucks for the rest of us who have lived by the rules and also a small team. Not a small team, but a team that, uh, like Williams, that has violated this, gets a $25,000 fine. $25,000 is a lot of money to a team like Williams. I mean, it's a lot of money, uh, especially when they've got a venture capital company uh, making sure that they're paying very close attention to their ledger. <laughs> so that that's like a big deal for Williams. And the basically what what we believe is that there should be a proportional consequence for any team that has violated a rule in formula one and with the cost cap being violated with that rule being violated i think it's dangerous to set a precedent of like well we can't go back and change the past we can't go back and change what happened in the past um because the teams were being evaluated in an unfair way, right? Like if you want to hold Red Bull to a higher standard of 2021 and be like, okay, well, since they spent $7.2 million, then technically they should have like their points count for less, right? Like even if it isn't like a, a, a deduction of points, but just being like, oh, so for every one world drivers uh, or world constructors championship point that you actually scored, because of your violation that year, the point is worth 0.6 of a point. And it like changes the amount that you needed to win the championship the following year. Um, so mm-hmm. there, I just think that there needs to be some, some sort of like something that is more than just a finger wag at a team or a yeah. like sh- shrugging of the shoulders. Like, Oh, well, I guess they beat us this time. Uh, we should probably tighten up uh, the regulations next time. Because they'll just do it again. They'll find another way if the repercussions yeah. aren't severe enough. But yeah, uh, ooh, what a what a what a. I just want to find out what they're going to do with it. I want them to, uh, you know, I want this to stop being speculated about and just to just to yeah. get some some results and figure out how uh, how the sport can move on from this. Yeah, yeah. I... Um. All right. Well. Johnny, what else do we have to talk about here? What else? What else are we we getting into this week? Um, uh, there, there was one one other thing on the on the sort of fluffier side of Formula One that mm-hmm. I've been tracking. 
Uh, I've been really excited, you know, as the Formula One presence has grown in the United States to see that it's also uh, spanning across all different kinds of media. Obviously, we've had Drive to Survive be a huge success and and a key motivator of growth in the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've mentioned previously on the podcast, we've got a few different like like multiple films about Formula One coming out. We've got a uh, currently untitled film uh, starring Brad Pitt, directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who made the the latest Top Gun Top movie, Gun. literally mm-hmm. the biggest movie to come out this year. Uh, that'll be that'll be going into production very soon. Uh, there's going to be a documentary for Disney Plus. Uh, uh, led by and, and narrated by Keanu Reeves about the Braun F1 season of dominance, which will be super fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, another one that popped up on my radar just recently that is already in production, not explicitly about Formula One per se, but about the life of Enzo Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be starring Adam Driver, uh, as notable, Enzo Ferrari, as Enzo Ferrari, um, a no, notable, uh, you know, Oscar nominated actor. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be directed by Michael Mann, a super legendary director, uh, probably best known for making the film Heat. Oh, yeah. uh, amazing, amazing movie amongst many others. Uh, and uh, the film is meant to center around Enzo Ferrari competing in the Mille Miglia, this legendary, uh, insane race that would happen across uh, about a thousand miles of public roads uh, uh, across Italy. Uh, insane, wild race that would happen back in the day. And there's, you know, currently every year they do a sort of like tribute, you know, parade-like approximation of the race. But uh, back in the day, this this was a pretty wild race that would happen on public roads that weren't always shut down exclusively. For the the race, so pretty wild stuff. There's a little bit of material that is leaked out on the internet. There was a, a video clip I saw making its way around Instagram that showed numerous vintage vehicles, vintage Ferraris, vintage Mercedes, uh, including a Gullwing, that yeah. are just bounding uh, stunt drivers rushing them through narrow city streets and like literally watching these cars bottom out and and whatnot uh pretty fun stuff that's that should be a pretty special film especially with michael mann at the helm and and you know knowing what kind of production that that should be sounds like it'll be a, a really fun one yeah, and also seeing Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari, who, as if you listen to this podcast, you've heard John and I talk a bunch of smack about the guy because <laughs> he was not a good dude. Uh, so watching yeah. Adam Driver play Enzo Ferrari, I'm sure, is going to be an exquisite experience. Uh, and that man seems to tap into uh, the the dark side of people very, very easily. Uh, oh yeah and uh, i i'm excited to see the passion um of enzo ferrari portrayed by uh the passionate uh <laughs> actor uh that we know as adam driver 
um yeah excited for a bunch of memes of him like punching uh, <laughs> yep. the, the marriage story <laughs> memes of adam driver punching a hole in the wall um uh referencing like i don't care how many drivers die <laughs> like just yep. like the yep. most awful things uh but that's gonna be great i'm i'm excited for that uh i love that media has it seems like there are several projects which are approaching f1 not only from uh, a current uh standpoint and like appreciating the current um uh you know, kind of popularity in pop in in pop culture uh, around F one, but they are going back and kind of like referencing these historical moments in the sport yep. that definitely flew under the radar uh, here in the U S. Um, but for sure, will now be extremely dramatized by Hollywood and the Hollywood machine, uh, so that people I think will have a much I think we'll have a greater appreciation for the sport and the history of the sport, not just the cars going real fast around uh, circuits um, uh, with like potential drone camera shots. Like it's like, Oh, it's like, I'm sure that they're going to like show what it looked like when they had to put film cameras on F1 cars. Uh, Eventually they're going to show what that looks like. And it's wild to have an old film camera attached to a car that is ripping through uh, a circuit. Uh, It's just wild. So that is going to be, that is something that I'm really, really looking forward to. Uh, Do you think that, the stock went up this week, Johnny. What do you? What are you, What are your thoughts? Do you think the F one yeah, stock think, went up I, in the U.S.? I, I think the stock is creeping upwards. I think we've got, uh, you know, a little bit of scandal helps mm-hmm. the stock. Yeah, um, a little bit of excitement leading up to the United States Grand Prix in Austin, Texas. Yeah, uh, in you know brings the the stock up. I've been seeing. Uh, just on social media, a few different, you know, uh, notable celebrities and whatnot calling out the race and talking about how they're looking forward to to attending in person and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think it was uh, the Austin Grand Prix last year was considered sort of a turning point in yes. Formula One fandom. Uh, it yes. was spoken about how there was a buzz and an electricity at that track that hadn't been felt any year previous in Austin mm-hmm. as well as, you know, in any other uh, circuit nationwide. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it feels this year in comparison with, uh, with, with last year, with the, the interest in the sport uh, only continuing to increase. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And last year was like a big year for them because it was the first year that, uh, sports fans were able to uh attend uh a grand prix in in the u.s since the pandemic Mm -hmm. shut everything down so there was like a big buzz around that it was one of the largest crowds it was like a sold-out crowd record-breaking crowd over the course of the weekend uh and it's it's really really cool to see the sport continuing to gain more and more uh, uh attention um whether it's negative or positive um, like you said, a good scandal will will drive the stock up. Um, I I also agree the stock did go up, and it went up for that reason. But also there was an article 
that was uh, compiled by Scott Mitchell Malm for TheRace.com, where he has taken uh, a long time and great consideration in having multiple discussions with Daniel Ricardo about what has been going on in his career uh, uh, over the past year. And, and as fans know, especially people who have been around for a while and watching F1, this fall, I mean, it's not a fall from grace, but this drop in performance uh, by Daniel Ricardo over the past couple of years has been baffling to most of us as fans. Uh, and it's so nice to and it, I mean it's it's painful to hear and painful to read, but it's also really really enduring, um, uh, 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 or sorry, endearing to Daniel Ricardo because he's basically throwing his hands up and being like, I don't know what happened either. I love this sport so much. I've tried so hard. Yep. It, it feels so frustrating to be operating at the peak of my performance, but then being put in an equipment that is just not suitable to my driving style. And then also just handily being beaten by Lando year after year, race after race has just been such a, a confidence destroyer for someone like Daniel yeah. Ricardo. Um, and it's just, it's such a beautiful piece. And I, I encourage everyone to, to go ahead and, and read it. Uh, it's long, but I think it's one of the best, uh, best and personal looks at a driver and like the process a driver goes through, especially when they're suffering, um, uh, an, uh, an underperformance issue uh, behind the wheel and they don't understand what the problem is. Uh, so uh, I, I would, I would love for people to go check that out. And I think that that in addition has helped uh, drive the stock up is like a driver who is an American darling, right. Who's a darling mm -hmm. here in the U S uh, yeah. just admitting his, his vulnerability and like his pure frustration uh, in, in his lack of performance in this car. Uh, I thought that that was a really good article and I, I think everyone should check it out. Uh, if you like this sport, um, or if you just want to listen to an athlete, be vulnerable. It's really, really interesting. Um, cause he's usually the happy go lucky guy and you get to hear him, uh, not hear, but you get to read his thoughts and read his responses. And you're like, wow, this dude's been struggling and like putting on a very brave face and it's been real tough for him. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the stock went up. Uh, well, John, we've managed to talk for quite some time about a lot of stuff that had nothing to do with the race. Cause there was no race this week, but we got Austin coming up and the, the, the madness has already started. Uh, so we will, we will see what the drivers do and what they, uh, what, what they, what they produce for us at the circuit, um this this uh this next race i'm excited week. for it i'm excited yeah, yeah. it'll be it'll um, be a lot of fun where uh where can the folks find you online johnny where can they track you down i spend most of my time hanging out on uh twitter you can find me there via my handle johnny motion Corey, where can the folks find you I am also on Twitter, and you can track me down uh, using Burn Corey Burn as my handle. I'm I'm all over there. I'm on Instagram and then uh, TikTok as well. Not as frequently on TikTok. I know I said I'd be posting a lot, but I haven't been. But yeah, uh, I'll be posting more. Well, folks, I appreciate 
y'all listening and uh i know what the hell am i even doing how am i wrapping this up john i'm not wrapping this up in any sort of normal way it's <laughs> it's uh you know listen we've had a good time figuring out what the hell's going on in this sport yeah in between races we'll have a wonderful time next week when we get to talk about the u.s grand prix yes and yes. until then oh you'll find us on another episode of the what is what is it what's it called what it is, is the f1 files Ooh. there it is <laughs>